Welcome to The Lab, a Cornerstone Gundog Academy podcast focused on all things gun dogs, good times, and the great outdoors. I'm your host, Barton Ramsey. All right, what's up, everyone? Episode number two, my buddy Josh Raggio on the line with us. Super excited. I will tell you, man, I'm, I have a list. I have a, an app called Clear on my phone where uh, you can make lists and like swipe them when you're done. And that makes my obsessive compulsive nature very happy to see like a list get swiped. And uh, I sat down one night when I was thinking of this and was like, all right, who do I want to talk to in this thing? And your name was it, first three people I put on the list for sure. Uh, no kidding, man. That's yeah. Awesome. Which I felt like you probably That's would it. be surprised by that. Knowing just you're a humble dude. And, yeah. <laughs> well, I want I wanted to talk to you for sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, I am surprised because I know I know all the people that you know. I know, I know all the people that you know. I know cool I'll, people, man. I know cool people. I'm very fortunate. I, I tell people I get to like local folks are like, oh man, you're you you're like cool. You're like with all this cool crap. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm the not cool guy that gets to hang out with lots of cool people, which is super fun. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm fortunate in that way. Uh, I, I want to um, have a lot of fun things to talk about, to ask you for sure. But for those uh, who are listening who don't know you, Josh Raggio, Raggio Custom Calls, you're in the Raggio Mercantile Shop, I can tell, which is one of the coolest places. I've got a couple questions about that later. Um, but tell us a little bit about you. How long have you been blowing duck calls, turning duck calls, and doing what you're doing uh, currently right now with your life? Well, uh, well, first, thanks again, Bart, for having me. Uh, yeah. So I guess I've been uh, blowing duck calls since I was probably 10 or 12. And that's simply because uh, my dad always carried a duck call in his pocket. And so we were constantly hearing duck calls in the house. And so you either kind of had to adopt it and, and uh, what's the word, like uh, take it for what it was worth, uh, as annoying as it might be. Um, or you just had to sit there and be annoyed uh, by it. So I kind of picked it up and started learning. Um, I didn't really get it, though. I didn't, you know, I was okay at a few things on a call, but I didn't really get it until, or start getting it until I was probably in, you know, early high school, maybe. And at that point, I, you know, dad had started competing. Um, so I was around duck calls and, and competitions and, um, you know, some of the makers back then quite often. And when I hit, I want to say I was in late high school, college, I started blowing in my first contest and, and quite honestly thought I was pretty good. Um, cause I'd won a few meat contests. Uh, you know, I'd won the, the Mississippi state and blown in the worlds and, but, um, you know, I really, so I said earlier that I kind of got it in that time frame, I really got it. And my buddy Brooks kind of pointed this out one day, Brooks Tinsley, when I started making calls, that was when like everything just clicked. And I felt like I could basically do anything on a duck call that anybody else in the world could do. Maybe not as good as I could do it, but I could at least do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, um, obviously that was uh, blowing a duck call every day. And so you'll say in practice makes perfect uh, pretty much you know, that that's what it, what it was for me. Um, 
so that, you know, that's kind of where it started for me. And just that, uh, you know, just my dad taking me hunting, always willing to call, you know, just kind of never thought I'd do it for a living, obviously. Um, sure. But, uh, but yeah, that's how it all started. So when did you start, like, when did you turn your first call? Uh, 10 years ago. Okay. 10 years ago, about 11 or 12 years ago, I started kind of amassing all the tool toolage that, that you, that I thought I needed. I didn't really know what I needed to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and that was really because that really didn't have anything to do with, uh, like my, my duck call history before that, um, really, you know, I went to a buddy's house that was making calls that didn't live too far from me. He had asked me to come, come and, and blow his calls, kind of critique them for him. And when I walked through his garage, you know, I saw the, the lathe and I saw sawdust and the saws and all this kind of stuff. And I, and I blew, went inside, blew a call that he had made from scratch. You know, that didn't sound great, but I was just, just enamored at what he had just made from a block of wood. Mm-hmm. And when I left, walked back out of his garage to my truck, that night I told myself, I'm going to do this one day. Um, do this, meaning I'm going to make a call and go hunt with it one day. <laughs> not, not I'm going to have this, you know, awesome custom call business that takes over my whole life. <laughs> right. I'm just going to make so, some calls. Uh, yeah, so, so that's what it started. Where were you? Uh, was, I don't remember exactly where you were. We have some some mutual friends uh, up in Memphis that are still kind of in uh, corporate America, truck world. Um, where were you? I mean, you, you were not working in the, I'm using my, my air quotes right now, the industry, right? You were in corporate America. What were you doing before you started Ratio Custom Calls? So I worked for, so right out of college, I uh, started my own business in landscaping and small construction. Uh, that was when there was, you know, housing boom, early 2000s. And, um, you know, and then 2007 and eight hit, everything crashed. And um, so I got out of that and got into a sales job that lasted a couple of years, which led to a sales job at Puckett Machinery, which is the the cat Caterpillar dealership in uh, in Mississippi or central Mississippi down to the coast. And so I worked for them uh, for about... I think it was about 12 or 13 years. I started out in product support sales. So what basically I was a punching bag for, uh, I was the liaison between the customer and the dealership. So once you purchased a piece of equipment, I was your contact mm. and people don't call, um, you know, that they don't, they didn't call me cause they were happy with everything. You know, they called cause something was broken. I'm just calling to tell you how much I love this thing. Yeah. Nobody, <laughs> <laughs> nobody never happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you know, um, I did that for eight years and learned, man, I, I mean, I wouldn't go back and change time for anything because of the lessons I learned in that job, um, really taught me how to run a business mm. and, and how to deal with people through positive and negative experiences, um, and how to communicate and build relationships and build networks, um, so I did that for eight years and then transitioned into the actual equipment sales. And I did that for three or four before I resigned or turned in my resignation to pursue the duck calls full time. Um, you and you and so I the, talked yeah. a little bit around then and uh, I yeah. don't cut you off, but I want, I, I do want to, I, I want to hear like, just what was that like making that transition? Um, Cause you've got a family, you know, you've, you're, you're, you, I feel like your position in the sales world was a, uh, secure position, right? I mean, you had a, a salary, you you knew what you were going to take home every year, 
might even get bonuses beyond that. And, or maybe you're all commission, whatever it was, you, you had, you know, a lot of security there. And, and I think stepping off into this, I've made a similar journey. Uh, it, I don't think it was necessarily the easiest decision, but, you know, walk us through that just a little bit. What was that like making that call and what, what kind of pushed you off the cliff into, Hey, I'm just going all in on this duck call thing. So, um, I felt the, after, after a few years, I, you know, started getting a pretty good waiting list for the duck calls. And I, and I started feeling that pull, uh, to, to resign the corporate world and go into it myself. But like you mentioned, I had, I had the job at, in my mid thirties that everybody wanted, uh, selling heavy equipment. It's a job that I should have retired from. Um, I was on mainly commission, but it was, a, it was just fantastic. It was a great job. Um, but I, I could feel deep down, I could feel this, this yearning to get out on my own and, and work for myself, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day and see what I could, could do with this duck call thing because it did have some momentum. Uh, well, it had a lot of momentum, actually. But I struggled with it for about two years, to be honest with you, Barton, because uh, just because of fear, because uh, like you mentioned, I had at that time, I had one child and one on the way. So I had a five-year-old and my wife was pregnant, if I remember right. And, you know, we had insurance. My wife stayed home. Our goal was, uh, she was a school teacher and our goal was for her to stay home until all our kids got to kindergarten. And so I'm looking at, um, and I had a company truck, company credit card, all that. So now I'm looking at buying a truck, uh, paying my own health insurance, my own retirement, um, you know, not getting necessarily a paycheck every every month like I had been. And so really for two years, I struggled with it until finally, uh, you know, something happened at work. It was, it was, it was, it was review time and sales were cyclical and I'd had somewhat of a down year and some other things had gone on the year before I'd almost won salesman of the year. And, you know, some things were said in that meeting that really just bothered me to the point where it pushed me over the edge. And I'd been praying like God hit me in the face with a brick when it's time to, to make this decision, like, don't, don't kind of just whisper it in my ear, you know, or like really like just make something big happen. And that was the event that really, really, uh, really changed it. After that meeting, I went straight home. I called my wife, my parents and said, look, we need a family meeting, met at my parents' house, told them what happened. And I said, look, I'm, I'm fixing to resign. So I just want to make sure everybody's on board uh, at least act like you are, because I'm probably going to do this regardless. You know, all my, my really close friends said, man, you're an idiot. You're, yeah. you're going to give up this job to hand make, you know, because at that time I didn't have a, a acrylic CNC line of calls. Right. You're going to literally go hand make duck calls for a living. I said, yeah, I, I am. I said, you're, you're, you're an idiot. That's all I can say. Like you shouldn't do it. <laughs> That's what all my buddies said. But I knew it was time, you know, um, I knew I had the resume and the, the history of, you know, work history that I could get a job the next day somewhere mm. if it didn't work out. Um, I didn't really have a plan B because if you do that, plan A doesn't always work out because you don't push as hard. Right. But in the back of my head, I did know that I could get a job. So, mm. so that's kind of right. how, you know, how it happened. Um, Man, to, that's, to a, that's a, a tough one. Duck my, maker. Yeah. I, my transition was uh, to, the the outdoor industry was um a little different than that in that i had this uh like kind of step down like hey i'm i was working in the church world 
which in some ways was the dream job financially it was not. So I started doing Southern Oak Kennels things because I, it was out of necessity. It was like, Hey, we're having kids. And if we ever want to take a vacation, we're going to need more money than this. So then the Southern Oak Kennels thing got bigger and bigger. So I'd go back to the church and say, and the church was actually struggling financially and say, Hey, what if I just cut my time in half, you know, and I'm still going to work hard, but I need more time to do this dog thing. And so y'all pay me half, you know, and and it was like a step down, step down, step down. And what was super cool about it was at the, at the fight there, there was definitely a hard break and uh, there were some tough decisions made there, but it happened three months before we launched Cornerstone Gundog Academy. And, and we knew that was in the plan. So the way that God orchestrated that whole time frame for me was probably not as scary as yours, but I do remember talking to you <laughs> and it was, uh, we had not been friends very long at that point. Um, but I, I honestly don't even remember really how we, I don't remember how we became friends. I just remember we talked, I, I, uh, there's a, that's a fuzzy uh, period of life because I met so many people so fast. But um, yeah, people say the the quote. I'm sure you hear it all the time. I don't. People butcher it all the time, so I'll probably butcher it too. But the whole like, you know, if you find a way to make money doing what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I think that's BS. <laughs> <laughs> you did find a way to do what you love doing, right? You're you're doing it, but. How often does it, I mean, that statement in your mind, does it feel like work sometimes? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Last week was, was work. Um, you know, we had, uh, we had two radio remotes Thursday at the, at the station, both of the, or the two largest country music stations. One was here from 11 to one, one was here from four to six, had a lot of stuff going on. Um, so what we were, we were prepping for. Friday and Saturday being the last two days to shop for Father's Day, right? Mm -hmm. Really pushing, uh, you know, pushing the advertising as hard as we could. Well, the storm hits Friday morning at five and we have no power. You know, we have no power and we have no water. So I had to close. uh, Well, or not close. I just wasn't able to open Friday because you couldn't, you literally couldn't get into Raymond. You had to detour around because of all the big trees Um, power lines everywhere. Um, and they were working as hard as they could. The city was, but there were so many 200 year old oak trees entangled with power lines and they can't touch those. So, you know, that was a little bit of a bummer. Um, that's that those days feel a whole lot like work, even though you're maybe not, uh, working (laughs) in the store somewhere. Yeah. 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 Uh, There's definitely a lot. So then I mean, Saturday, well, I, you know, I, I made the decision. I was like, look, this is for, for a guy's retail store. This is the biggest day other than Christmas, right? That uh, for sales. And so I made the decision. We opened with lanterns. Um, the bank next door was running a generator. I was able to feed a couple of uh, lines into my Wi-Fi and my POS system. <clears throat> and so for the first three or four hours Saturday, people shopped in the low light. I wouldn't say dark, low light. And we made it work. And we had a banner day Saturday because, you know, and the lights came on around 1, 1.30. Uh, and it was starting to get pretty stuffy in here. Um, and we've had power ever since. But those kind of times, you know, and that's one example just because it just happened last week mm-hmm. of the days that, man, you know, what you and I do, at my buddy Randy Shell mentioned this today. He's like, when you start your own business, you're a gambler, right? Yeah. 
there's certain things you can control and a whole lot of things you can't. And last week was one of those, was, was just kind of one of those, sometimes what am I thinking kind of moments? <laughs> <laughs> or what was I thinking? 100%. 100%. Um, you can relate. I Big time. But I want to talk about, I do want to get to the store in a second, but I just, I don't want to skip past your actual calls. I have several uh, big fan. My, I call it my timber lanyard, my lanyard. I don't want to get muddy. <laughs> if, yeah. you get, if you get muddy in the timber, then you've made a mistake. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, my timber lanyard is all stuff I have collected over the years from you. My first one being the one you surprised me with uh, at the SOK summit when you turned it in your, your mobile call shop, which I was in the other day with the, the its new <laughs> owner. Uh, that was cool yeah. going back down memory lane, but, uh, anyway, I, I, I wanted to ask you a couple questions because in all honesty, I I'm, I'm the dog guy, right? I've never been the duck call guy, but I really do appreciate art. And I also appreciate practicality. And I remember getting your call and be like, I'm, I'm going to put this on the shelf. And you were like, use it, you know, it, go. And that's, that's a hard thing for me to, to be like, man, this is this, I have some of my, that lanyard that are just absolutely beautiful duck calls and, they're out getting used. I, I like to use them a bunch because they sound good too. Um, so I just want you to walk through the process like now, now that you've been doing this for years and years, like what are you looking to create when you sit down and you see a block of wood? What is that creative process like for you? Uh, what's the balance there between like art and practicality? And what are you really hoping to, to accomplish? I know they're all different, but like, what do you, what do you feel and sit down when you sit down and say, Hey, I'm about to make this right here in front of me. Um, well, you know, part of the beauty of hand turning uh, wood duck calls, not acrylic, but wood is the mystery of it. Right. Um, I take an inch and a half block of wood and it looks a certain way on the outside. And you know, most of what I turn is grade A on the outside. And you're you're hoping as a maker that when you get into the inside of that piece of wood, it's as beautiful or more beautiful with more character once you get down to the actual shape of the call. And so obviously a lot of that's out of my control. I try to buy the the best possible wood blanks I can find. Uh, and they're, you know, they're more expensive, obviously. But Part of that that creative process is the aesthetics, you know, while they are different, they're at the same too. Like when you see a Raggio call, there's no sticker on it. There's no engraving on it, the hand turn stuff. Um, but, you know, it's one of my calls by the shape. So obviously, and I don't measure anything. Um, I don't even, actually, I do have one caliper, but, you know, I have some friends and we all do it different ways that draw it to scale on a piece of paper and go back and forth from the, from the paper to the lathe. That's how they do it. We all end up with the same end product. I personally just go by feel, you know, I don't measure anything. Um, so that's part of the creativity that goes into the actual turning. Uh, the, the mystery of what that piece of wood is going to look like is what keeps me going, you know, every day, because for example, if you turn a white acrylic call for a, you know, six months, I would go absolutely crazy because you know what it's going to look like at the end. Right. So part of that surprise, not only for the customer, but it's also for me is seeing what it's going to look like after it's turned and, and buffed and polished aesthetically. 
Now, obviously, the other part of that is the sound, and that's that's always tricky too because your 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 bore, your trill, is a blind drill, and so your millimeters too long, too short, whatever. So that's uh, that kind of reverts back to when you first start. How do you start making duck calls? Did you start with a flat jig, which basically forces you to learn all these dynamics of sound? So I would compare it to if you're a photographer. Instead of putting it on automatic mode, um, you know, instead of starting out with a jig that already has some curve to it and gives you a sound and kind of does some stuff for you, if you've never taken pictures before, I'm handing you a a, a, a nice camera on manual mode. Mm. All right, so now you have to figure out if you turn this dial up and you crank your ISO, what does that do to your shutter speed um, or your aperture? And that's a triangle, you know, photographers know this and really duck call making from a sound standpoint is also a triangle. You have your read, your bore, and you have the angle, which is cut off on the end of the tone board. And all three of those, if you change one, you got to change something else to make it mm-hmm. sound right. And so I don't know if you call that creativity or just, mm-hmm. you know, knowledge of how it all works um, from a sound standpoint, but that's the biggest challenge, right? I can teach you how to turn a duck call that looks like mine in an hour. If you have any kind of skill set on a wave, if you don't, it'd take you a few days and some practice, but it's that sound mechanism part that makes you a call maker that makes your call, your call. Um, because somebody could come up to me, hand me a call and say, man, it has too much hold. It's not loud enough. It's too loud. It's whatever. And I can go in and manipulate it to, to fit that person to an extent. Yeah. You did that for me, actually. I said, I, I just don't like to, to have to use so much air in a duck call, you know, hunting in the woods. I like to be able to get quiet and you adjusted my call. And I had no idea about any of that because <laughs> I'm completely, yeah. you know, ignorant when it comes to, to how that sort of sound works. I do understand the, you know, the pressure required and that kind of thing, but that's, that's impressive to hear because you could make really beautiful works of art that are a surprise to you that sound like garbage, you know, just because it's pretty and you don't do that. So it's awesome, you know, seeing people with, and I'm not a good duck caller, but I can blow a duck call enough to not get kicked out of someone's duck hole, you know? And I, it's yeah. awesome seeing people when you blow it, they're like, what is that? What call is that? And I'm like, that's ratio. And I'm like, oh man, it actually sounds good. You know, like that's, <laughs> it's just, I feel like that's not, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the working dogs versus show dogs thing. You know, you see a show yeah. dog actually working. You're like, Oh man, that's surprising. But not only do they work, they sound, they sound really, really good. Um, moving past calls, which I haven't really thought of it that way. As far as blocks of wood, you don't really know what's going to, going to be inside there. And that's pretty interesting. You really just see the outside four sides of that thing. And, yeah. uh, that's cool. That's really cool. I've seen all the the blocks of wood. I mean, I don't know how many blocks of wood you have sit, sitting in the <laughs> shop there, but <clears throat> it is impressive um, to see how many of those things are are around and how the things that the links that you have gone to to find some that look pretty stinking rad. Uh, I mean, I don't even know where some of that stuff yeah. comes from, but it's it's <laughs> insane to see. Some it's of more that. the you know, amount of money that I'm willing to spend on something. Um, <laughs> You know, to to take the chance on it turning out just absolutely, you know, mind blowing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, you and I have talked before about just 
the the brand of your company, the brand of of my company. For those of you who don't know, Josh and I are both in Mississippi, and uh, Mississippi is is known for a lot of things, but not always known for being cool. And uh, we have companies that several you know several people have remarked have pretty cool brands, and we have friends that do too. Shout out to Ren and Ivy. Um, you know, we, we know some folks around that have some, there's some cool stuff going on in Mississippi. Hey, big shout out to, uh, blue Delta jeans. Heard they came and set up shop. Uh, our buddy Randy was so excited to come down there. He was with me the, the night before hanging out. So he was stoked to get down yeah. and get some jeans in the store. That's a really cool Mississippi brand. When you built Raggio custom calls, I don't know. I mean, you've been in the sales world, so you obviously knew the importance of, of how you appear to people and, and your image, but what was the the sort of brand you have a rad brand right there's definitely like you can see a raggio call and say hey that's raggio you can also like be in that store that you're sitting in or be at your booth you know at a, a trade show somewhere or outdoor show and you can see and feel the the raggio brand what went behind that what were like or what are some key components to you of of what makes raggio custom calls what it is today um, well, hmm, there's, there's probably a lot to that question. I'll, I'll try to keep it simple though. Uh, so from a branding standpoint, I figured out, I didn't figure it out. I didn't figure it out early or, you know, when I first started, but over time I figured out that because social media had just started when I started making calls and it took a little while after looking at photographers and other people that were, were doing well in social media based on the image that they were taking and putting out there. Um, and I'd, I'd watched, you know, companies like Filson um, early on the type of imagery that they were putting out to me, it fit their brand. Does that make sense? So when I looked at a Filson picture on Instagram, it was what I wanted to, it's why I wanted to wear that jacket or that coat, you know, that shirt or whatever, like it, yeah. the imagery made me want the product. So, um, fortunately I had starting, started taking some pictures of just hunts and, uh, you know, decided to try product photography with that camera and that setup. And, kind of came up with what I thought was it was really kind of a dark, sexy way to make duck calls look as, as weird as that sounds like nobody had really branded a duck call company that way. A Filson-esque per se. Um, so when I, when I started doing that, I, I saw a definite um, increase or a definite change in the perception of my business and an increase in engagement in uh, social media, as well as just, you know, orders coming in, the people calling and emailing. And so then it became second nature to make my brand look and feel that way. Um, and it's not just perception. It is, it's reality also. However, if you live in Maine and the first thing you see is a picture on my Instagram. That is the that's your perception of my brand based on one picture. And once I realized the importance of that, I started really uh, spending a ton of time on that specific, you know, part of the business. Yeah. 
That's a great answer. That's definitely, um, it definitely your, your brand perception online definitely matches what you get. Right. And that, yeah. and I'm yeah, saying that about you and, and some companies, I mean, if Filson started posting, you know, snowboarding pictures of kids hitting rails on a snowboard, you'd be like, what? <laughs> it doesn't match. Yeah, it though, match. Yeah, you, you could wear a Filson yeah. jacket, but that's not the brand. Right. And so for you, it's definitely yeah. a, a feel for, the beauty of it and even even what you were saying about kind of the mystery of it there's like a darkness to the brand that's like man this is um this is something you, you kind of got to see you it's like almost got this come come see it for yourself sort of feel you know which is come come yeah. and find out what this is which is super cool um well, I'm glad to hear that you know from an outside perspective because i see everything from the inside inside this mm-hmm. bubble sure. that i have you know um and oftentimes and you're probably the same way we get caught up inside our bubble and don't realize the impact of what we're, we're doing on purpose. However, sometimes we don't see as owners or or makers or whatever, the actual effect that it's having in the industry until we go to a show or I come up to something, an event that you're doing, or we go to, to Bozeman or something and people start, they give you that validation that you don't really hear. Sure. Um, and it, and it, you know, it, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like, holy cow, what I've put all this time and effort into for years and years and years, paying attention to the smallest of details every mm-hmm. single time is actually working. Yeah. You know, this is actually paying off. Um, you know, one other thing, just talking about marketing, branding, and kind of how it came about, I really tried my best to be authentic and original not taking anybody else's ideas, trying to do things, you know, first in, in the industry. Um, you know, I have a list of things that I, that I keep that I did first, you know, um, I don't share those. I don't put them out and say, Hey, look at this. I don't comment on somebody's stuff when they copy to the nth degree, what I did last week, a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, but I know. And, And a lot of my customers know. You know, um, big things like the the mobile shop, you know, nobody's really done that. But, you know, smaller ideas that were good for the duck call community, duck hunting, things that brought people together. Um, you know, you see some of those things emulated now in different ways. Uh, and not saying I was the first to get a group of people together and talk about duck calls, but just kind of the way we did things. We tried sure. to do them different, very professional. Um, you know, so that that also definitely helped. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the first being the first guy that that did the stuff, the calls for Filson. Um, yeah, that was cool. And, and that goes back to imagery and somebody at Filson seeing my Instagram page and going, "Hey, we might look at this guy," and it yeah. turns into a five year partnership. Yeah, that might be the first time we really spent a lot of time together was at Shot Show when you did the Filson calls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, so just to to add to to that from my perspective on your brand and from the things i hear obviously you're not the first custom call maker and that that person's been dead a long time and and there's you know you're not going to reinvent the wheel but there's definitely an element to the way you built ratio custom calls and your brand that i hear people all the time now say when talking about other custom call makers oh yeah they kind of they they kind of do that ratio thing or like, yeah, it's kind of like the, the ratio calls. Like it's almost like Yeti, you know, like, oh yeah, they're, they're like the Yeti, yeah. you know? And, and yeah. so that's a testament to, to kind of getting there first, which you and I both know that requires a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck. 
the timing hey, of the timing of starting stuff. I tell people all the time for for my journey, you know, I'm 36. I grew up with dial-up internet. You know, I love coming home from school and getting on AOL Instant Messenger and talking to kids from school. Like it was, it was a very natural transition for me. Whenever I started Southern Oak Kennels, I was like, yeah, we got to have a website. Like, got to get on social media. That's what I do. And I think for the generation right above me, they were like, we need to get some kids in here to get us on the internet. <laughs> you know, it was, they had yeah. to go like relearn that, but it was a natural language for people, you know, 10 years older than me and 10 years younger than me. It was very much like our, that's the lane that we lived in sometimes to our detriment because you can make things look a certain way online and, and it's not that way. Right. Perception can be very right. different than reality yeah. in that regard. But it was the same for Cornerstone Gundog Academy when Josh and Keith and I with the Rock House guys came together. I had all these people that would ask me, do you have any good um, DVDs you could recommend for dog training? And I would think to myself, the only DVD player I have is in my wife's Yukon. Like that's the, if I were to watch a DVD right now, I'd have to go sit in the truck and watch it in the back seat. Like that's, yeah. that's the only one I have. It's just DVDs aren't a thing anymore. And so that was really the timing of that was like, Hey, I really do want to give people this experience of how to train their dogs the way that I learned and the way that, that I think is most fun and, and beneficial. But the timing of it is now we can put it on the internet and you can stream it on your phone, you know, which was super cool. Yeah. And, yeah, we're super cool. But the other the other side of that is, so uh, when did you start? It's okay. It's okay. Started in two thousand. Really, I named it in two thousand twelve. Okay, so we were within a year of starting mm -hmm. companies. Um, so we were also at the very forefront of Facebook, Instagram. I don't think existed until maybe a year or two later. What did you? One of the things that was the biggest eye opener and learning lessons for me was the lack of accountability on Facebook when I first started making calls and posting calls for sale. The absolute hate um, language that was put out on Facebook because there was zero accountability that I had to endure. Did you? Because I was the new guy and I was all of a sudden I was gaining a little traction. And I was asking more for my calls because of just yeah. how we I valued my time away from my family. Did you experience a lot of that early on? With Southern Oak Kennels, a little bit. Um, because, you know, because there's, and one of my goals of this podcast is to, is to build bridges between different communities. So I don't want to knock yeah. anyone down at all, but between the American sure. lab and the British lab world, there's, there's always kind of this, you know, we've talked about that. Okay. So, uh, there was a lot of like, oh, it's just, you know, yeah, there was there was some of it with Cornerstone. There was a lot of it because we were new and there were these, you know, there are some great other training programs out there that were, you know, very different. And so anytime you come in and do something different and you, you, you know, charge what we feel like it's worth because of the work that goes into it. You got people that are, you know, not happy about it. And I used to say all the time and. and I also, you and I probably both witnessed this a lot with Sitka gear. Um, they got absolutely trashed on Facebook because of their prices, right? But meanwhile, they're selling out of everything they make. So uh, I used to tell people all the time, like, it's like folks go join a, a Facebook group for people that own Ferraris 
and post a comment like, well, my Honda Civic gets me to work just fine. <laughs> like, that's not the point, man. It's just, why are you in here doing this? That was what I got a lot of. People getting some group and just, yeah, slam stuff and prices. But, you know, we made it through. <laughs> here, here we you are. You know, what? <laughs> the good part about that, so there was some good that came out of that. Number one, it just gives you a thick skin and you let things roll off your back, you know, because, I mean, it still happens today. But what I found early on was once, you know, those people would say something or whatever, but then if we met at an event or something, I would go up, introduce myself, we'd have a conversation and I would hear back kind of through the grapevine or the guy would make a post to say, Hey, I'm at Rasio this weekend. He's actually a pretty good dude. You know, (laughs) like that was, it was wonderful because there was no computer screen in front of us, you know, that was blocking, uh, so, you know, turning bad into good, you know, uh, just getting yourself out there and, and meeting people like you did too and still do, it, it really changes people's perception when they can actually just have a conversation with you. It's amazing. Big time, big time. I, I, I mean, I have experienced that. I experienced it when I was at SHOT Show with you. Uh, I sat down to dinner with some guys and um, this other trainer who's a super, super nice guy and he... <laughs> I have some friends that were there with me that reminded me about this the other day. He had had just enough uh, liquid encouragement to just speak his mind. You know, we've been together for like half the day and, uh, and he looked at me right across the table and he was like, man, before I got here, I thought you were a real douchebag, but you're actually pretty cool. <laughs> and I was like, man, I don't know how to take that, but I appreciate it. And I have told a lot of, of, of dog guys like, Hey, Differences aside, I, I know we disagree on like a couple things here, but I promise you, if we went on a duck hunting trip together, we'd have a good time. Um, it actually, it yeah. actually happened. There was a guy that that used to absolutely trash Southern Oak Kennels online. I mean, every yeah. every time Sitka Gear posted anything about us, this guy would go comment and just trash it. And uh, he was young, you know, he's very young. And I actually messaged him and said, man, if we ever shared a blind, I promise you, we'd have a lot more in common than you think. Lo and behold, this guy ends up guiding for a buddy of mine's outfitter. And I show up and I told the guy that my buddy, I was like, hey, look, there's some history here. I'm not angry. I hope he hunts in our group. And we did. We killed 108 lesser Canada geese and a band. Wow. And the only dogs that were working were mine and my buddy Corey's and they, they did fantastic. Right. I mean, they crushed it. That was, I mean, it was field hunting geese. It's not like it's hard to retrieve. So we had some long blinds where you're casting them out, you know, and I think the guy kind of hoped that I didn't really know who he was. And at the end of the hunt, we get in a side by side, just me and him, we're going to get the decoy trailer. And I just put my hand on his shoulder and I said, man, I told you we'd have fun out in the field. Didn't I? <laughs> and man, we were pals ever since then. It was all good, but yeah, there's, there's uh there's something to be said about meeting in person. And look, we do that with, with Cornerstone, you know, where it's an online training program, but we do these member days and we try, we're trying to do yeah. it across the country, which is cool. And man, when you can get people that you've just interacted with on social together, mm-hmm. it really is eye opening. Cause I, I mean, I couldn't do what I do without social media. Our, our businesses are in some ways dependent on, on social for, for marketing and advertising, but man, it's a quick reminder when you're together that social is not the end all be all man. And, and when you sit down in a, you know, by a fire pit with people that you've only interacted with on social, you're like, man, there's so much more here than what I perceived based on this image I got. 
Absolutely. Um, I mean, it was much the same with call nights when we started call nights and six, uh, seven years ago, you know, it wasn't the first time that a group, somebody had gotten a group of duck call guys to, you know, together, but it, what it turned into was an event. It went from call lessons to 200 people in my backyard, me having to get sponsors, rent a tent, have food, like yeah. chairs, a stage, a sound system. Um, you know, that was kind of, I would think maybe, uh, kind of the first that that had happened, um, the way it did. And, you know, and now it's cool to see other makers do events that bring people together. And it's basically based around the duck call. Yeah. Um, and so much like yours is based around a dog. Ours is, is based around duck calls. So those types of events are, are fantastic. And to go back to what we were talking about earlier, I didn't, I didn't mention that to say, oh, poor me or poor Barton for having to take crap on social media. <laughs> I say that because it still happens. And there's probably going to be some guys that listen to this that are new call makers or, or new trainers or new to whatever you're doing. And, you know, I said that because I want you to know that, that both Barton and I have been through that. We have read comments that are absolutely just super hurtful people that don't know you are making these comments. You know, your parents are reading them. I personally never commented. I would maybe send you a private message and say, Hey man, you know, I don't know you. You don't know me. We've never met, but if you have an issue, just call me and let's, you know, I'll be glad to talk about it or work it out. That was kind of the way I handled things. But my, the reason I brought that up again was just to let people know, look, it's going to happen. It's the world we live in. It's social media. People can say whatever they want to on a keyboard for the most part. And you just have to sit there and endure it. Don't ever feed the fire. Don't comment and, and learn from it. Make it make you tougher, you know, um, mm. and maybe they're actually right about something. So don't <laughs> don't say don't think you're so right about everything. You know, maybe learn something from something somebody said. Uh, but anyway, going back, that's why I, I yeah, that, that piece. Yeah, that's that, that is super helpful for anyone out there starting up, you know, whatever it is you're doing, definitely chew up the meat and spit out the bones there. there there's always a little bit of truth in that criticism, uh, whether you want to believe it or not. And then there's usually a lot of like, what in the world are you talking about, dude? Um, I have fed the fire. You know, my personality. I like to hop in there. And man, I regret <laughs> a lot of those times. I'd love to just scroll through the internet and delete a bunch of my comments back to people. And I have honed that down significantly nowadays and you can accomplish a lot just by reaching out directly to somebody and, and saying, Hey, let's, let's talk about it for sure. There's a we all uh, make mistakes. I'd love to turn back life and delete some life. <laughs> you know? That's no joke. Um, life. We all, we're nobody's perfect. So. Yeah, that's right. Um, you're in your shop there in Raymond, Mississippi, where there's a killer restaurant right around the corner. I love being down there. Um, most yeah. most of my memories down there are also just with like, not just you, but several of our great friends. Um, whether it's a, an event where people are in town or whatever we've done down there for for uh, for Grace for the Oda Pro, you know, charity shoot, hanging out with John Dunaway. Shout out to our buddy John. Uh, one of he's on my list too. Um, <laughs> He's we, gotta uh, be yeah, got to be one of the most interesting people, the most interesting man in the world. Um, he, he, he quite frankly, he, is that he, guy. Yeah, he might be that guy. Um, but you've got a shop in Raymond, bro. If you go to the I mean, I know you're kind of close to Jackson, but Raymond feels like you go to the middle of nowhere, hang a left. And then there you are, you are in Raymond. I mean, it's it's not on the the 
you know, most visited places in Mississippi, but you have, I'm not just saying this, the coolest store. I can't come down there because I'll just go broke. I mean, if you are into <laughs> anything outdoors related and like the, the, if you think that the, a brand like Raggio Custom Calls is cool or Filson, you know, Ren and Ivy, I don't even want to name all the stuff you have in there. It is the, the store, and this is a compliment to you. If you look at your company's branding online and you say, what does that feel like? It feels like when you walk in that store. As soon as you walk in, it's like, that's it. This is what, and you saying the power was out and it was dark. It's dark anyway. Like that's the, <laughs> the feel. You can see the products clearly, but it's like, man, I feel like I'm, I feel like I went back in time in the best way when you go in there. So how is the store going? Like what, what led you to go from making custom calls to doing a, a store in Raymond, Mississippi? Well, the, I'd worked from home for four years since I resigned. Uh, from from the corporate world in my shop by myself all day. And that was starting to get old, you know, the lack of uh, just the lack of social interaction. I'm, I'm a pretty much an introvert. However, I do like a little interaction, you know, um, I love to sell things. And when this building became available, it, uh, it was just too big for just a duck call shop. And I'd actually had a dream uh, to open up a really cool, just guy store. And this just, it was the opportunity to do that. Um, it was right time, right place. And I had a vision for it before it ever, I mean, well, it's still the drugstore. I could walk in here and see this shop just like it is today. And so it was all in my head already and had been for a long time. Um, and so it just lent itself, lended itself to having the space to put a retail store in and then go a different direction than most, I guess, quote unquote, call makers would have gone with hunting and fishing or just their, you know, line of products or whatever. Um, you know, I decided just to go full, just gentleman store, you know, everything from a bow tie to a duck call, a turkey strap, a briefcase, a backpack, like candles. We have a scent section, knives. I mean, just all the stuff that I like and you like, yeah. I just put it in a store. That's so people say, how do you pick all this? I'm like, well, I like it. Yep. That's how I pick it. <laughs> <laughs> we have very similar tastes too. Cause man, I walk around, I'm like, ah, get me out of here. Yeah. Yeah. The funnest part for me though, was the and what I, and what people compliment and I really take it to heart and really appreciate it is the aesthetics of it. So mm -hmm. I do all the, obviously I order all the inventory, but I did, I, you know, I got all the, um, I did all the displays. I do all the product placement. So I make it look like it does um, because I just, I feel like, well, because I want to, but I love the vision of, you know, buying this product and setting it out in a way that's, that makes people want it and gravitate yeah. towards it. And, you know, you take one, that one product and multiply it times a couple of thousand and you get the store that you see when you, when you walk in. Well, for those of you who are listening, who are ever within driving distance and the shop is open, you've got to stop by. It is, uh, it's truly, uh, remarkable. I was there for the grand opening. I guess it was the soft opening. I don't know. It was early, early on. And I did not go planning on spending money and that was a mistake. And, uh, it's, <laughs> it's really cool. There's just, I still have, man, I'm one of your candles is sitting right here. I need to get a few more of those, but you have stuff that's branded with your brand. You have lots of other cool brands in there. Um, and then you have the awesome display back into the shop where you can watch call making happening, 
which is super cool too, man. And that, that countertop. Yeah. There's just so many things I could talk about from that shop that <laughs> yeah. we did that are, people yeah. just need to go see it. Um, so you, you kind of led into to this one. Um, you were working from home. You've got kid. How old are your kids right now? They're six and 11. Okay. That's right. So work family owning your own company. How's it been balancing that? Um, how have you grown in that? Obviously getting the, your office out of your garage probably helped in some ways. Uh, how's that journey been for you? Cause I know there are a lot of folks in here that a lot of folks that listen to this podcast, I'm guessing people that have sent me messages anyway are about our age and they have kids that are elementary to middle school to high school age. And that balance is never, never really easy. Um, so how's that journey been for you? And if you could go back to the start of all this, what would you tell yourself as far as family and business are, are concerned and how you balance those? Man, that's a deep question. Um, I would say this, I think you and I are a lot alike in the, in the fact that I don't know if this is a fault. It's all if it's good or bad is contentment. We're not, we're not good at being content. So like you have the, the largest or most recognized, you know, in my opinion, brand of, you know, as a dog trainer with SOK, with all the things that you do outside of just the dog training, the cornerstone and just everything. Right. And my guess is like you're, you have ideas already. Well, hence this podcast right this now, podcast. you have other, <laughs> they other, you have other ideas that are in line next because you're just not content with where you are. Like you want to grow it. Um, you know, so to see just how big it can get. And, and I think a lot of the same way. So I wasn't, I became not content with just turning duck calls every day. And there needed to be something else. One, a change of location because I did not need to working from home. I would maybe not do what I needed to during the day and then find myself from six to midnight when the kids got home needing to then work. So losing that balance of family because work would kind of just happen during the day whenever I needed it to. Um, so, you know, the store was, was somewhat also a little bit of I needed wanted something else to figure out and try to run. It's my first retail store, never done it before. Um, now I'm already wanting to open, you know, another location. Um, you know, we're working on the e-commerce site right now. And then I want another brick and mortar in another place. that's maybe a little more populated. Tupelo. <laughs> <laughs> I have a spot in mine. It's not far from there, but um, so like contentment and balance, I struggle with that. And I think it's because, since I've been a kid, I've been raised in a very competitive environment. Not necessarily, not at all, actually, from my parents. They didn't push me to win at everything I did. I'm, I'm uh, programmed that way, personally. But when you look back at my life, it's like the whole thing's almost been a competition. When I was in high school, I wanted to have the best grades and be valedictorian. When I was on the baseball field, I wanted to be the captain and a shortstop. And I was able to do a lot of those things. And then in, in college, you, you transfer into a, a situation where you're on a baseball team where everybody was the best on their team in high school. And again, there's competition there within the team to get a starting position. And then obviously winning games um, to then Ironman events. To, it just seems like everything I've done, somehow I form a way to, to put it in competition or find competition or aspects of competition in those things. And I don't think that'll ever go away. 
what that hurts is sometimes my family balance because I'm striving so hard to do things in the business world or in my personal life with business that I have to really um, pay very close attention to family time. It's helped, you know, you know this, I've cut alcohol completely out of my life. Um, and that has been probably the biggest thing that I've ever done personally for not only myself, but for that balance and my family. So now what it's done, I have a much clearer sense of, of things just in general. Um, a lot of anxiety has gone away. A lot of yeah. that, uh, you know, just enjoyment of instead of, you know, throwing a baseball with my kid thinking I need to be at work right now, making more money. Now I can actually be in the moment, throwing a baseball with my kid and enjoying it. Um, mm. You know, that's a small example, but really a big example at the same time. And that goes with my wife, both kids, you know, my parents, just things that we do in general on an everyday basis that I used to really honestly neglect um, because I was so passionate about, or I thought that was my excuse is, I'm the breadwinner. I've got to go make more money. And that's not an excuse. It, you know, I was not being a good dad. I was not being a good husband. I was, I had my, my priorities were out of line. Mm. And so, you know, that, that, to answer that question, it's, it's a whole lot better now, but it's a very difficult thing to balance. Yeah. It's not easy. I've been there. I've had, you know, the conversations with, with Bethany to say, look, this, you know, her asking, why are you responding to, you know, Instagram messages at 930 PM on a Sunday? And I'm like, well, if, you know, if I don't, this guy might go, might go buy a dog from somewhere else. You know, it might go. And then man, getting to a point a few years ago where Bethany was the one that was like, so what <laughs> someone else <laughs> will come along. And I was like, you know, you're right. I'm, I was missing a lot. Just same as you. Uh, I got it. You know, the drive to, just constantly be working, like throwing logs on that fire. Um, it's, it is, uh, something that if you're not careful can dominate. And, and I have been very intentional the last, um, really the last four years to spend as much time with my kids. That's probably the number one thing that I get criticized for on social media is how much time I spend with my, with my family, which is hilarious. I'm like, man, this is great. Uh, if this is what you guys <laughs> have, uh, what is I was actually going to mention that, uh, you know, you were actually an inspiration to me seeing when I was, when work was the forefront and, and one of the only things that I thought about was work, 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 money, money, money. I got to work more to make more money for what, you know, then I would see you make a post at three o'clock in the afternoon. You were picking up your kids, not your wife. My wife was picking up my kids. You were being a dad. You were taking them straight to the boat and, and having that quality time. And I was sitting in my shop working. And I was like, man, like I want to be that kind of dad. And part of that was just changing up my schedule a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be able to be more free and more open to that type of thing. So I know you probably do get, you know, statements on Facebook about that. It's like, well, he's not training dogs. Well, they don't know what you did from 4 a.m. to 2 a.m. You, you probably had worked more hours than they have <laughs> yeah. before you went and picked up your kids oftentimes. So, you know, that's part of that whole social media deal. But anyway, um, I think you're, you're also what you don't hear when I've never told you this and probably most people don't either is that was actually an inspiration 
as a father uh, to me and probably is to, to, to a lot of other people too. Um, so yeah, seeing those things actually helps people. So don't ever well, discount that. I appreciate that very much. Uh, and I know, you know, social media, especially Instagram stories and whatnot is the highlight reel, right? Like <laughs> yeah. last night, one of my dogs ran into the, the power box that supplies the power for the kennel and busted it. And so the power is out until the guy can get here tomorrow to fix it at the kennel. So like <laughs> I'm out there with a headlamp letting out dogs at 1030 last night because we had a long day with family and uh you know it's pitch black dark there's mosquitoes everywhere because the fans aren't on and there's 18 dogs to be let out and poop to be scooped and whatnot i'm not putting that on instagram people (laughs) i'm not (laughs) showing you like hey here i am by the way (laughs) i tucked my kids in i'm sweating to death out here late at night you know stepped in a mud puddle with my flip-flops on the way out here you know that yeah. the the that stuff doesn't go on Instagram, but um, the family stuff to me, and that's that is why I post it. Hopefully, to encourage people to get out with their their kids and capitalize. Because what I realized uh, in 2019, when I was in a very unhealthy place, physically, emotionally, uh, substance wise, everything um, was you don't get any of this time back. You don't get this time back. It's, it's it's like I tell people with it's very short with dogs, you know, that the socialization phase with a dog happens so quickly. And if you wind up with an eight month old dog that wasn't properly socialized, you're just not going to go back and fix it. Right. It, it has to happen in a period of time. Well, it's much longer with kids, but it goes by seemingly incredibly fast. I mean, there's all those sappy Instagram posts like you get 12 summers, you know, like what, what you know, whatever that is. But it's true. And uh, there's only so much time I have. a. a an app on my phone. I'd have to find it now. I kind of made myself stop looking at it because it made me sad, but it, you put in your kid's uh, birthday and it calculates when they're going to graduate high school and it gives you a literal nonstop countdown. So if you open it, it's like, this is how many years, how many days, how many hours, how many seconds. And man, (laughs) it got me. I was like, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know if I would. Yeah. I don't know know if if you want to see that out, man. But then there are also days where you're like, this day is 90 hours long. And (laughs) (laughs) if I tell my Uh, wife, Bethany and I have just kind of started a little like we saw it in a she read in a book somewhere. My my wife's far smarter than I am. Uh, We may both be in that boat. Um, She's she's the one that keeps, you know, if if she I told her all the time she was. I was frustrated that she was on her phone when I was talking to her, but I actually interrupted her on the phone. I was like, what are you doing? She said, I'm, I'm renewing Noah's prescriptions. And I was like, see, if it weren't for you, (laughs) this thing would fall, you know, with this wagon, all the wheels would fall off. Um, But we were talking and uh, we we sort of got to this, like uh, this point where we've started trying to help. Essentially the deal is like, Hey, look, I'm one to 10 right now at the end of this day. I'm at like 30%. Like yeah. I'm wrecked and I need you to be 70 if you can. And yeah. ha- having some freedom of space to say that has been super helpful to us. I didn't mean to go into marriage counseling here, but, and then sometimes <laughs> saying, Hey, I'm 30% and having the freedom to say, well, I'm 10%. So let's tag team it. Both of us got to like buck up right now and just deal with it. That's been super helpful because what we found ourselves doing before that was just being frustrated because no one communicated that they were like at the end of the rope today, you know, and when you're balancing work and, and 
whatever it is, you know, and it seems for me like if, the, if I have a great day with the kids in Southern Oak, then it's a tough day with Cornerstone or if Cornerstone's killing it, then Southern Oak, it's just always something that's draining you. And, uh, and if you're not careful, it'll take right away from, from your family. Anyway. Yeah, I was at a hundred percent. I was for the past two years when I got home, I was at 0%. Mm. Had, had absolutely nothing left. And so thank God for my wife, you know, um, cause she did, she held it all together. And, uh, you know, luckily we've, we've backed up and punted and or not we, ah, it was all on me. I backed up and punted and just had to make some, you know, serious life changes or I was about yeah. to miss all of life, you know, all of the good things in life. So, yeah. Well, I'm super proud of you for that. And it's been super encouraging to see and, and fun to walk with you on, on that journey. I got a couple more things I want to hit on because we're, I, I knew I was like, if we don't set some sort of time limit, we'll talk for three hours. Um, <laughs> all right. You're the duck call guy. I'm the dog guy. I'm skipping over a couple of things here, but what is your ideal? You get to go duck hunting one more time in your life. What's that hunt look like? Mm. I mean, it'd be super cliche. It would be, it would be in, if I could set the climate and the water level and all that too, it would be at a public land spot in Mississippi with my dad, my son, um, a few friends that I won't name because I probably leave somebody out that, you know, yeah. but, um, there's, you know, a couple guys that I've hunted with for a very long time. Um, and we, my dad would shoot, you know, a couple of mallards. My son would shoot a couple of mallards and I would just kind of get to sit back and watch it all and call and then come home and, uh, eat some scrambled eggs and biscuits and bacon. Love that. I love that you said I mean, public land too. We're very different in that regard. I didn't grow up doing this. So <laughs> I stay away from the circus, but no, I, I appreciate it. And I have so many friends that do like, I get it. I've done the public land thing. And when you do kill ducks on it, you're like, Oh yeah, we did it. We got them today. Yeah. I like those country club ducks. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I do that anymore. I'm no, I know. I've, that's that's a great answer. I was raised that way. I Here's was one: raised is, that way, so. is it, does anyone got a dog on that hunt? Do you uh, like having dogs? I w- yeah, I would have my old dog that passed away. Um, but he was out of or sired by Moose. You know, Jason Zara's. Yeah, uh, freaking awesome dog. Um, I would have Brody back on that hunt. Yeah. And yeah, he would, he would retrieve, you know, all six or eight of those ducks or two of those ducks or whatever my dad son yeah. shot. And, and then I'd let yeah. him go back up to doggy heaven. You know, you're, be- you're kind of, you're kind of like me. I, I, I know this to be true because we've, we haven't hunted together a ton, which is funny, but you and I both commented just when the season gets here, we're just busy. We did get to spec hunt together, which was cool because you had that like super flamboyant gun, which I was jealous of. Yeah. 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 yeah your gun with like inlays all in it. And it definitely, yeah. it definitely uh, matches. Like when you show up with your calls and all like that gun, I was like, Oh yeah, of course. That's what he, <laughs> that's what he's shooting yeah. out here. That was a fun hunt too. Um, I had zero but, bars. That was, that was key. Yeah. 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 That was key. No service. Um, the, I so many times last season and the season before, particularly, did not load my gun 
I just love to sit back. Noah's going with me a little bit. I just got his first mallard um, back from the taxidermist and put it up in, in our new lodge, which hopefully we'll have a grand opening for soon. But I love handling a dog. Like I love sit, sitting back off the hole just a little bit where I'm not in the way. I'm not flaring any birds and man, just picking up ducks and, and, you know, obviously if we're smoking them, I'll load my gun. Cause I want to, you know, I don't want anyone illegally shooting my limit for the game wardens listening out there. Uh, but I really love watching the whole thing happen, which is cool. And I've got friends that do too. And I've got other friends that like Addison, like no one loves to shoot stuff more than that guy. Like he, he is, you know, everyone else is unloaded and about to go eat breakfast and we need one more duck for the limit. And Addison is literally staring at the sky with his gun, like Elmer Fudd. Uh, but yeah, you, so you love the sitting back and calling them aspect of it. I'm guessing based on what you do yeah. and, and all that. I mean, how yeah. is that? That's, I haven't really thought about that. What does that feel like to, to bring a duck down into a duck hole on public land with a duck call that was a block of wood before you touched it. Man, I'd say it feels exactly like, uh, you know, either one, a, you know, a perfect mark with a dog that you trained and right. runs it just absolutely perfectly or a perfect mark within a blind with, you know, at, across a field at a thousand yards and you gave, you know, maybe one or two stops and you know, you didn't shoot the bird, you know, it's, you're yeah. just doing your thing with a dog. You know how that feels. So that's the best way I could explain how it feels for me to call a duck in with a call that I used. Yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. There's this, this like, man, yeah, that element of this thing was a little puppy that didn't even know how to not pee in his kennel. And <laughs> now we did this. It's, it's super cool. And I think for you is the same as different as a duck call is from a dog. Just the joy that you see the other guys you're hunting with experience, man, it's so cool. When there were three times last year where there were three crazy retrieves that I had last year and all three were around a lot of clients at an outfitter and everyone like, hands in the air like yeah like that when the dog got it because i think everybody was like i don't think the dog's gonna get it you know like that's a long way or that's a difficult yeah. thing to cross and seeing the joy that they have is uh is pretty i've actually seen that blow i mean i didn't make the duck calls but i have used your duck calls hunting with uh with uh, a, a buddy with roush and yeah. uh and seeing his joy when ducks pass over and you bark at them a little bit and here they come back around and man that's stinking awesome, man. I love it. Yeah. It's a cool feeling. Yeah, yeah. If me and my dad just went hunting together alone, we would never shoot a duck. <laughs> we just <laughs> both like to we just both like to call and see him do their thing. Yeah. Like we would just go duck hunting and not shoot ducks, I guess. I don't know. No, yeah. but you know how I mean the shoot, like Addison gets that enjoyment that you get out of, you know, a retrieve I get out of you know, calling ducks in with a call at me. Addison gets that joy out of shooting, you know, and you need shooters in your group. But yeah. those guys feel the same joy as we do, just in a totally different um yeah. you know, aspect. Takes all types. All right, last question. Uh right. 50, 75, heck a hundred years from now, someone brings up Josh Raggio. What do you hope they're talking about? 
Uh, you know, I, I hope the word like genuine comes up. Mm. Um, you know, no matter what it was, it, you know, he did it. He, he was just a genuine guy. Like, you know, whether we're talking about family or my business or mercantile or duck calls or who knows what I'm going to get into in the future, but that he was just, uh, you know, a lot, I'll, I'll say this. So a lot of CEOs, a lot of presidents of companies, now some are kind of that hard, gruff type mentality, but most of those guys, you know, guys don't like to use the word gentle about themselves or other being right. But there's nothing cooler to me than a guy in a super high position that is number one, super wise because of things that he's been through uh, in life to, to make him that way those experiences, but also super gentle. Like he can, you go into a meeting with that guy and you're expecting to get your head ripped off. And somehow you come out feeling even better than you did when you walked in and you messed up, you know, mm. like he's, that person can communicate in a way that's just on another level. And so while I'm maybe not there yet on that communication and that whole of what I'm trying to with love to become that person. You know, I hope I'm on, on my way. I hope that I am already a genuine person, whether it's something good or you know, positive, whatever, like I just meant what I said. Um, but also kind of that, that gentleness of a, of a, of a man that is approachable um, as mysterious as the brand looks sometimes, you know, uh, approachable and just appreciates those things that, um, that maybe get overlooked in life, you know, and, and figured out that balance in life. Like, man, how did Razio do this, this, and this, and man, he has, you know, we pray and hope for just awesome kids that, that turn out good. And, and, um, you know, and at 75 years old, I'm just as happy as I am right now doing whatever I'm doing. So I don't know if you're looking for like a one word answer, but no, no, that's great. That kind of hundred percent. Yeah. It encompasses what, uh, what I, I definitely feel what you're going for and a lot of what I already think that you are, you're a super genuine dude. That's for sure. So I, I think you're, you're on the right path, man. Definitely a genuine friend. And I appreciate your friendship and, yeah, you are too, and all the fun stuff that we get to do together. I wish it wasn't uh, so far down there, but hang out soon i'm sure and i really appreciate you hopping on the podcast and uh sharing all this with with folks maybe dog folks might be uh bored but hopefully you guys will enjoy <laughs> hearing from a guy that has done some really really remarkable things in in our industry and is a remarkable and creative human being man i appreciate the uh the time to chat i know you got meetings today and i've got to take my daughter to horseback lessons so <laughs> now a horse dad. yeah dude thanks for chatting have a great one everybody that's listening we really appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time 